This is the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Chris Lamberth. And I'm Josh Havens. We're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us today and hope that as you set aside this time for God, that He will help you grow today in the everyday moments of life. In case you haven't heard, there's a way of understanding who we are as people that's really starting to gain traction. The Enneagram consists of nine different types that describe the way we interact with the world around us. And most importantly for daily growth discipleship, it gives us another tool to use as we pursue daily transformation into the image of Jesus Christ. In Chris's book, The Sacred Enneagram, he describes much more than just a personality profile. Chris has spent his life bearing witness to the possibility of hope in a world that has legitimate reasons to question God's goodness. Originally from Omaha, Nebraska, Chris studied at Asbury University in Kentucky before moving to India where he was mentored by Mother Teresa for three years. While living in India, he helped launch South Asia's first pediatric AIDS care home creating a safe haven for children impacted by the global pandemic. A forerunner in the New Friar movement, Chris and his wife Philena served with the New Word Made Flesh community for nearly 20 years, working for women and children victimized by human traffickers in the commercial sex industry. His vocation has taken him to over 70 countries, working among the most vulnerable in the world's poor. In 2012, Philena and Chris launched Gravity, a center for contemplative activism. Understanding your type can open ways to understand who you are and what God is doing in your life. In today's chapter, Chris gives us a brief introduction to each of the nine types. But before you get wrapped up in trying to identify your type, take Chris's advice from the last episode to heart and spend some time exploring this concept with another person. So Chris, if you would give us kind of a brief introduction to each one of the nine types. Like what makes each one of the nine types tick? To sort of round, to sort of run around the color wheel of type, and, and I like to say that that the Enneagram is sort of a color wheel, that each of these numbers blend or bleed into the numbers on either side of them, and this is what the wing theory is about. Um, we can start at point one, and, and like we said, type one is, is sometimes called the reformer, the perfectionist, is the need to be needed. These are the folks who are somehow, like I said, afraid that they are inherently corrupt, but they're incredibly principled, responsible. They're 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 very their structure is incredibly important to them. And and you know, like my 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 teacher and friend, Father Richard Rohr, who's also a one, says every unrealistic expectation is a resentment waiting to happen. One's aim a lot of resentment at themselves for not being better than they think they, 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 they are. And so really have to have compassions for ones because if they come across fussy or grumpy or a little critical, if they, if they're letting that out, if, if they're leaking that they're, they're leaking the leftovers. I mean, they're, they're beating themselves up all day long and, and criticizing themselves ferociously. So it's, it's tough. It's tough being a, a one. Um, the two, the two is sometimes called the helper or the giver. This is the need to be needed. These are the the, the heart for nurturing um, folks that are really the embrace of humanity. And, and we love to be loved by them, but you see this this fuels and perpetuates their basic fear, which is of, of not being loved for who they are, but, but really being loved for what they give. And so they deny a lot of what they need. They're not honest with, with what they want. They, they sometimes feel that um, 
they have to self-abnegate, right? Give themselves away at their own expense to convince themselves that that's what's going to make them happy. But but really, that's also part of the source of their sadness. And so, you know, if you have friends in your life who are too, it, it, it really is sort of our work to, to get into their hearts and, and to really learn to love them in the ways that they intuitively and naturally love us. But if you're too, you're going to have to actually be able to also receive that love and, and, and realize that... Um, it's it's not selfish that you aren't the only one born to serve and meet the needs of everybody else, but that there's somebody out there and there is something in our responsibility of, of mirroring that back and giving that back. Now, if you're a three, this is sometimes called the performer or the achiever. This is the need to succeed, but threes are not the most ambitious of, of the types. They're not the most driven of the types. It's just that the threes... Um, have maybe the most hollowed or empty heart. And so as little kids to try to fill the emptiness of their hearts, um, they, they substituted love, which they could have simply received. And in most cases, they, they substituted love for recognition, affirmation, reward. They, they substituted it for the sort of low hanging fruit of I'm going to, I'm going to grab for this. And, and then I'm going to stuff this into the hollowness. And, and that was a quick fix, and it, and it was effective, but it, it still wasn't satisfying. So what happened was they became driven, and, and their drive really, like I said, isn't – I mean, it's 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 horrible to, to, to sort of loophole them in this. It's not the drive to succeed. It's simply that just like all of us in nine different ways, they want to be loved. They're maybe just the most obvious on a subconscious level about that. So – the fear here is that they do not have intrinsic value, so they ascribe value to everyone in their lives and everything that they do. And, and again, this comes back to this, this, this fear. This ascribing and adding value is simply, on a, on a subconscious level, their efforts to say, the more valuable you are, maybe the more lovable you are. And the more value I can add in my environment, maybe the more lovable I'll be, become. And so for threes, it really is learning not to stuff the hollowness of your heart with a substitute, but it's really to to say yes, to surrender to love. Fours, this is sometimes called the individualist or the romantic. This is the the need to be unique. And, and poor fours get beat up pretty hard in the literature. And, and, and I feel a lot of sympathy for them because they are really hard to, to really sort of capture and understand. They're, they're just something remarkable about them and, and and almost no two fours are are even remotely close and so if you have a bunch of fours in the room they're sort of side-eyeing each other like no that person mistyped they're not four enough i'm the only four here that's true like if there's four fours in the room there's really only one four i mean they're they're that they're that different but you see the the, the drive here is this fear that they somehow don't have sort of a connection to the to the ultimate source of their being and and so they've lost an aspect of their identity and in this loss of identity they're they're out there seeing what's beautiful and significant in everybody else and and this is one of the reasons they sort of get um it's unfortunate it's unfair but this is one of the reasons they sort of get sort of cliched out as oh really artistic or sometimes dramatic or incredible with aesthetic or every word in 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 the and, and the song matters to them. Well, what they're simply doing is projecting outside of themselves what they can't reconcile inside themselves. And so if they can see what's beautiful and significant in everything, in their environment, in their in their friendships, in their partner, what they're hoping is that would also be mirrored back to them so that they'll be able to see what's beautiful about them. 
but they they have to see this first and foremost for themselves and 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 because they somehow feel like they can't they suffer that and and there's a lot of pain and and there's a lot of angst in in the heart of of the four um Man, if you work with fours, if, if there's people in your lives who are fours, the worst thing you can do is call them overly dramatic or, or too sensitive. Um, yes, their sensitivity is amazing, and that's part of their fluency. Their emotional intelligence is brilliant, but that's their gift, and, and, and we have to learn to honor that. The five is sometimes called the theorist, the observer, the investigator. This is the most cerebrally withdrawn of the types. These folks are way up in their head. And, and, and just like the four, the five is sort of has this withdrawn or detached social style to get what it is that they want. The fours want that connection and affection. The fives want security. And so they are going to flip over every question, every answer. They will get to the bottom of it, but it, it might look pokey to, to those who aren't fives. They are thorough, and so they'll be slow to make a decision until they have all the information. Um, four fives in the traditional language in the Enneagram sort of get tagged with this, this passion of avarice, which is you know, a form of greed, and it's not that fives are greedy. In fact, if a five chooses you, they may be the most generous person out there. It's just they're slow to make choices. They're slow to say yes because they sort of need to suss it out. They need to size folks up. They need to really evaluate every scenario and situation before they make a commitment. Um, but there's a brilliance there and, 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 and their minds are, are, are the most complex and, and maybe the most have the most depth of, of all types. The six is sometimes called the skeptic or the loyalist is the need to be secure. These are the threat forecasters, contingency planners. These are the worst case scenario thinkers who are, are doubling down on what concerns them not because they, they, they want to wind up this inner anxiety, but they want to threat forecast so that they can keep everybody that they care for safe. And so they're going to go there for us. They're going to think through all of the most dire and extreme scenarios of how something could go wrong. And man, that creates a lot of inner angst. But they, ironically, they're doing this as, as a way of, on a subconscious level, trying to offer love and support. And that's really the fear here is, is that they won't then be supported. And so if they're looking outside of themselves for support, this leads to a lot of second guessing of themselves, a, a lot of doubt. And and that's a bummer because when sixes really align with the gift of their essence, that, that gift is courage. That gift is true faith. And, and, and we will follow them anywhere. The seven, this is the enthusiast this is the, the need to avoid pain. This is the, the, the just playful, curious, imaginative individual who, who brings such levity and, and, and joy um, to everything. But, but you see, all of the, the energy that keeps the seven sort of up and, and, and moving forward is the energy of, of running from those, those places in their own heart that, that may actually be inviting them to compassion. And, and so rather than facing their own pain or, or, or even exploring it as, as a place of practicing discernment and, and learning to tell themselves the truth, they can, they can get involved in other people's drama, other people's pain. And so they can be really good therapists or humanitarians. They're, they're super fast thinkers, incredible problem solvers. And um, you know, a huge bummer for them is when they're not taken seriously, but you see so much of how they present is with such playful levity that when the stakes get high, our muscle memory is to dismiss them. So it's, it's important to really listen to the subtext here because there's a kind of brilliance here that's often often underappreciated. 
the A, the A is a challenger. This is the need to be against. These are the, the, the contrarians of the Enneagram. These are the folks who, who fight and push and, and sass and, 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 and hassle people. And that's their love language because they're, they're building trust. They're trying to protect their inner child and, and they don't want that inner child to be wounded, taken advantage of. So what they do is they project that by finding vulnerabilities outside themselves that they will then defend or protect. And so you love it. If you have a friend who's an eight, they'll, they'll, they're going to get your back. I mean, I sort of landed myself in this little Twitter fight with somebody the other day because I thought he was picking on a friend of mine who's been picked on enough. And I, I, I mean, I, I, I got at it. And, you know, of course, I regret that. But that's see what's triggered in all of us when we are unobserving type. Now, eights. Poor eights, man. When when I introduce eights, somebody's always like, oh, yeah, I used to work with really unhealthy eight. And I'm like, no, they were probably just an eight. You probably just didn't stand up for yourself. And yes, an unhealthy eight is a terrible person. But um, eights really do sort of make you own your own strength and, and, and really make you sort of own your own power. And so if there's an eight in your life, push back. Don't let them stomp around on you. And that's how they're you're going to earn their trust. But if you're an eight, you also, like I said, have to really be honest about your vulnerabilities and, and, and really let yourself be reintroduced to that inner child because that's the source of, of your innocence and that's where your truth will, 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 be, will be experienced. And, and finally, nines, this is um, the mediator. This is the arbitrator. This is the peacemaker. This is the, the need to avoid. And, and poor nines as little kids just minimized everything that was important to them. Because nines are, are a source of love. They sit at the top of the circle, and that's really the, the gift of their holy idea and, and their virtue, which is love and action. So as a little kid, they felt like it wasn't loving. They felt like it was selfish if they expressed their opinions or their needs or what they wanted or exerted themselves. So like I said, they minimized what was important to them. They minimized themselves as a way of making everybody else more important as a way of trying to be loving, but then got forgotten along the way and started to self-forget. And and the self-forgetting leads to a lot of rumination. So you see nines really flipping things over in their head, but but having a lot of difficulty bringing them forward. And uh, so nines, I mean, I, I love nines. I, I, I think nines are, are, are some of the most remarkable people out there. Just need to know it's okay to, to center themselves. And in fact, if you want to be a source of love, you have to love yourself first. And thank you for that. I think it's so helpful to um, it, it, have a good understanding of these types because, uh, you know, I work, I do have an eight that I work with. And then after reading your book, because you find yourself asking, like, why is this person combative? Like, sometimes you could just, like, come in and say, oh, man, isn't it, it doesn't the weather feel great outside? Never going to fight you on it. <laughs> and I usually, I, I mean, I literally use that as an example once. And um, after reading the book, it's sort of like, oh, okay, they're not just combative. And, and you really do, it, it humanizes us so much to be able to look at a person and see that, no, no, that's not just a flaw, but that is a created purpose that they have. And, and God can use that to do something beautiful through through who he's created them to be. And uh, so, again, I, I, I love that perspective and, and, and keeping this all in mind. Um, I wish we could dive deeper. I'm looking at our time, and so I, I want to move on to a, a few other things, and everybody will have to just go and, and get the book and read it to, to dive uh, deeper into the Enneagram and, and try to discover that. I would highly encourage you to go and check out enneaapp.com. You can find a link in the show notes. 
And there you'll be able to take a test to kind of help you determine your basic type. But don't let that box you into thinking that you are only that type. Uh, like Chris said, the Enneagram is really kind of a color wheel. And each one of the types blend and morph into one another a little bit. In addition to that, walk through this with somebody else. Find somebody else who can kind of be a sounding board as you look at the different types. Have conversations and, and ask each other, am I really this kind of a person? Am, does a four really describe me or does a one really describe me? And it's that walking together through this experience with someone else that can really be a powerful tool for spiritual growth and transformation. So today as you go about uh, your day, find somebody else that you can talk to about your Ennea app test results, and then go and get Chris's book, The Sacred Enneagram, and check out what he has to say about each one of those types in a little more depth. You can also check out the Enneagram Institute, and they have a brief description on each one of the types that goes into a little bit more depth than what Chris went into here on the podcast. Thanks for listening to the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. If you want to stay up to date with everything that's happening at Daily Growth, go to dailygrowthdiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. Or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Spotify.